Well, welcome back. One more week here, right? I hope you guys have enjoyed Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. God's got a lot to say, and I shared this morning that he does a better job than me. And so it's good for us to just open up God's word and kind of sift through it and see what he wants to say to us because he's got a lot of good stuff in there, right? My opinions don't really matter that much, but God's are eternal. They last forever. And so I hope that if nothing else, you will be so intrigued uh, about this book that you will find yourself uh, in it and studying it to learn it a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and open in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started today. God, we love you so much. We praise you for this beautiful day and for this place, for this church, for this people. God, for the many years, for the many people who've invested in this place at First Baptist Church of Coronado. God, we are all the recipients of your grace and your goodness to be here and worship you freely today. We're not the first people God in here, and we won't be the last. And so I pray that we would be mindful of that, that every single thing that we do, as we've learned from Nehemiah, it matters, God. There's a ripple effect that goes long beyond, far beyond us in the moments that we see and the things that we get locked into, God. Lord, I just pray for your word to go forth and hit every heart and mind today that we would apply it to our lives. And God, that you would use us in a great and mighty way all throughout San Diego, wherever everyone goes. Uh, after the service today, Lord, they would be a light for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to try to land the plane today. Now, I only have three weeks to go through the book of Nehemiah, so that's not a lot. But I want to do my best to try to take us from point A, right from the start of this, all the way to the end. And just to give you a little review, we started in week one where Nehemiah is called to go out and to do something for God's kingdom. Now, that's not explicit. That's implicit in the word of God. He's going to go back and rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem, God's people. And we see that God kind of convicts and burdens his heart. Again, that's not explicit. We don't see that there, but we know that he knows about all these things, and we know that he has a relationship with God because he prays. He prays and plans for months. And kind of our first week was this, that God uses specific people in specific places at specific times for his specific purposes. There's a lot of specifics in there, but I believe this, that all of you are right here, right now, for a specific purpose. God could have chosen anyone else to be in 2021, but he chose you. He could have had anybody else here this morning, but he has you. You are here for a purpose and for a reason. It's not by accident. And sometimes we dream of the forward, the future, and sometimes we, we kind of uh, dream of the past, of what was and what could be, but we're here, present, and now. And so like Nehemiah, what is it that God is stirring in you to do? And we said that, that I believe that God has got a plan for you or a person for you that you need to be active and moving and doing something about. And then last week, we, we followed that up in, in Nehemiah chapter 4. We jumped a few chapters ahead, and we saw that when we follow God, we will face opposition. It's undeniable if you've ever been to a church that says, when you believe in Christ, it's all good, leave immediately, right? Leave immediately. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, he's the king of the universe, the creator, and he comes humbly and poor into this world. He's born in a manger, which likely could have been a cave. He has no place to rest his head. He 
borrows a tomb at his death. This is the king of the universe. If Jesus faces opposition, you and I will face opposition, and that all looks different. I don't want to make you feel bad, but Christians around the world oftentimes are right now are facing a lot more persecution and opposition than we are right now. We've been blessed for a very long time in the United States of America, and, and some of that opposition is catching up, and we're starting to feel that discomfort a little bit. And what Satan wants to do in our lives is to keep, to keep us from moving forward in faith for whatever it is that God has called you to do or whoever God has called you to. But God is saying, keep going. Opposition's good because it's an opportunity for our growth and his glory. James says this, counter all joy when you fall into various trials, right? Because at the end, you become complete. Here's the thing, trials are good for our growth. We don't like them. Opposition's not good in and of itself, but it's good for our growth. It shapes us into the people that we will become or who God wants us to be. And now this week... Our big idea is this, that God multiplies our work for his greater purposes. Everybody say multiply. multiply. We like that, right? If you've got money, you want to multiply that. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards. We, we like multiplication, multiplication. We like to add. We like to see growth. We like to see things move in a good, positive direction. This is a little bit different than we see in the book of Nehemiah, but I want you to know this, that whatever God has called you to, or whoever God has called you to, in this moment, presently speaking, God is going to multiply it. You say, Pastor Logan, didn't you just say that if, if someone said that everything's all good, that you should run out the back door? Let me just pause and just define that a little bit. God multiplies our work when we're following him for his greater purposes. I'm not saying that everything that you do in this life will be multiplied. Let me begin with this. Can you do some good things without Jesus in this world? Yes or no? I know everyone's scared. They're like, the pastor's asking me this question. I'm not sure how to answer. Yes, you can do good things in this world. If you're not a Christian, can you feed the homeless? Yes. Is that a good thing? Yes. Thank you. You guys, are, you guys are trekking with me a little bit. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. That's a helpful thing in this world that's broken. But here's the thing, without Christ, all the things that we do on our own effort and our own energy has an expiration date. It means that when we're done, that work is done. But all that we do for Christ in this life, our obedience, that work that he's called us to, has an eternal timetable. It goes long beyond this world. The people that we reach for Jesus, the people that we share the gospel with who come to know Christ as Savior, we'll see them in heaven, even if we never see them here on earth again. That's pretty amazing, right? How about you clap for that, right? That's called a condition response, by the way. It was like, you only did that because I asked for you. But what I want you to see is that you are so excited about those moments in your life that I don't have to ask, or Pastor Bezos doesn't have to ask. You're clapping because you're like, I'm excited for the eternal work that God is calling me to do. And eternal work isn't always just starting a church or being a pastor contrary to popular belief. I know that sometimes we see and we think, like, that's the guy up front. He's the one doing all the work. Or these people on stage, they're the ones doing all the work. And I get to sit back and just reap the benefits. No, 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 no. You're mistaken. God has called every member on mission. Every one of you who are sitting here today who are a follower of Jesus has a responsibility and has a calling. And I can't sift through every one of you to know what that is. But you know what that is because God has prodded your heart. He's tugged on your heart through the Holy Spirit just like Nehemiah. 
for whatever reason, this cupbearer to the king, who's in this specific position in this place of the palace, decided at this moment when he heard this news that was not new news, by the way, you have to go back and study it, that it was his time and his moment to go and do something. And so today, we're going we're gonna to open up and look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 52. I think this is an important verse for you to look at this morning. And it says this. Oh, sorry. 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elah in 52 days. That's an incredible story. If we stop there, that would be a good message today. Because we see a man who obeys God, he takes the call on his life, the burden that was put on his heart, and he does something about it. He rebuilds this wall around his city. Work is done. Woo! Sometimes we feel like that in our lives, right? You ever felt like you raised your kid and they're, they're graduated and you're like, woo, did a good work. I am done. 18 years, that was a long time. It was longer than 52 days, but I am done. And then you're like, wait a second, hold on, there's college, or there's like after high school, or there's trade, or there's work, or there's Navy, or there's whatever, and you're like, wait a second, I'm still responsible for these human beings? And then all of a sudden they have tiny humans, which are your grandkids, and you're like, oh my goodness, now I'm responsible for these people too? I've got to do a work in here too? I want to break your heart a little bit this morning. The work for God is never finished. I said this in week one. If you're breathing, God has a plan for you. And that's not to be disrespectful or crass. God has something or someone for you. He's gifted you, and he wants to use you. He's not finished with you. And we see this in the book of Nehemiah. The wall is finished but the story continues. I said that what you're going to find out about the book of Nehemiah is that it's not about a wall. A wall is part of the story, yes. The wall surrounds the city of God and it protects the people from invaders. It's something that needed to happen because God's people were supposed to be a light to the rest of the world, to the other nations. And right now, they're in ruin and rubble until Nehemiah steps in with his people and, and casts this vision that was so compelling that all the people get into action and begin to rebuild the wall. So again, they look more like the city that God had called them to be originally. But it's not the end of the story. So if you got some notes this morning, if not, like I said, they're in the back. And I've got kind of a long message, or a long title here. I put from stacking stones to worshiping a savior, how God multiplies our work for his greater purposes. Everything that God is calling, to you, or calling you to do, I believe, has a ripple effect. It has a greater purpose than right here and right now. So let's look at some of these things and some of the ways that God multiplies our work. This is really important. There's an article that's so good, and if you have the notes, if I haven't, I haven't referred to these last few weeks, I'm terrible, but I want you to know that I put these little resources for you under the scripture. There's some links to some videos. There's a great video that's about eight minutes long that tells you about the book of Nehemiah. You think, well, Pastor Logan, why didn't you just play that for us and not preach for the last three weeks? We could have we been out of here and had lunch, prime parking. Sorry, I apologize, right? But it's a good video for you all to look at. And the other one under, underneath that is so powerful. One of my favorite articles of all time now, a few years ago, a pastor by the name of John Piper wrote this article. It says, God is doing 10,000 things. 
and I'm going to do him a disjustice, you know, a disservice by misquoting it a little bit. But he basically says that God is doing 10,000 things in our life at any given moment. And we normally recognize about three of them. That there's so many things going on that we rarely see them all in light of what God's doing. But we sometimes get the benefit of, of recognizing about three of them. And so the link to the article is there for you as well. Well, the first thing that we see, or the first work that we see happening, is that God multiplies his work through leaders. Everybody say leaders, right? So if we go to Nehemiah chapter 7, we're going to just look at a few verses today, 1 through 3. It says, now when the wall had been built, I set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and until they are still standing guard, let them shut the bars, the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. Verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. So the, the wall is finished, but the work is not done, and this is what we see. But the first thing that, that we learn is that God multiplies our work through leaders. What do I mean by this? We could sub out that word in our lives as just everyday believers as disciples. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe. Everybody say observe. That means they've got to walk with you. They've got to know what you know. They're going to learn what you learn. You're always making disciples. You may not be making disciples of Jesus, but you're always making disciples. I sometimes make disciples of Logan, and that's not always good. I want to make disciples of Jesus. The only way I can make a disciple of Jesus is if I myself am following Jesus. Paul says this, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't follow me as I do whatever I want to do. Don't follow me as I uh, make all of these decisions and plans in and of my own intellect. And he was a smart guy. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Discipleship is not a moment. It's not a classroom. It's a lifetime process. And we could also use the word sanctification in our life in Christ. That it begins at salvation, but you're growing through his word, through evangelism, through service, through prayer, through all these things. You should not look the same way as a Christian at year 40 that you did at year 2. Does that make sense? The Bible even defines it a little bit better for us. He talks about babies and infants and how we eat uh, milk versus meat. Paul writes these things because he wants to make it really plain for us that there's a process in which we grow in discipleship. There's a point where our Christian life, we should not just be sitters, we should be servers, we should become leaders in some area. Now, there's different layers of leadership. John Maxwell says we all have a leadership lid, and I love John Maxwell in terms of leadership. He talks about like one through ten. He makes it really simple. Like if you're a ten, right, you're never going to grow an eleven. He's just saying like your ability to lead people. We all have uh, layers or lids to our leadership, but the thing is in Christ, we should be growing, and we should have people following behind us because God's work is multiplied through leaders. At a church, if there's just a pastor and there's no leaders, the work is going to be stunted. Does that make sense? Eventually, there's just a cap to the growth. 
one person can't do it all. And sometimes churches mistakenly think that that's the case. Like, okay, Pastor Bays, he's going to make it happen, right? He's going to snap his finger. He's going to preach all the sermons. He's going to do all the visits. He's going to do all the calls. And then all of a sudden something happens where he gets COVID, right? Wait a second. Where's our leader at? We've got to send in the backup quarterback. He's only here for a few weeks. Well, that's okay. For a few weeks, he can do the work. I can't do the work. i got other work at another church in another place. And so where are the leaders, right? Within this congregation are leaders that God is going to use. And we see this, that Nehemiah realizes, like, the wall is finished, but the work is not done. We need to raise up some leaders. So he appoints. How do you appoint a leader? You've got to walk alongside them, like I said in discipleship. You've got to see them out. You've got to know who they are, their character. You've got to invest in them. You say, practically speaking, Logan, what does that mean for me? Let's talk about your kids, right? Your kids are never going to grow in your home, I should say, beyond where you are following Jesus. Oftentimes, you are the lid on your kids' relationship with Christ, their leadership, their servitude, whatever you want to use. You are the cap on that. That doesn't mean that kids don't make their own decisions and go prodigal on us and all those things. But the thing is, you have to look in the mirror at some point and say, how's my relationship with God? How is my time in the church? How's my time in prayer? How do I share uh, generously with people in our city? What am I doing? And how am I imparting that to my kids to become leaders? Nehemiah knows he can't do the work alone, so he appoints these leaders in different positions. I put here, uh, God doesn't want us to do this work alone. Jesus had 12 disciples. God is, is three persons. God gave Eve to Adam. The early church sent out people two by two. We get the picture. We stun our growth when we go at things alone. So when God begins to multiply our work, his work, right? I should say his work. We see leaders are born out of that at some point. Maybe not immediately right now, but there's a leadership process that's taking place. You guys don't know my pastor, most of them, Pastor Steve at Ocean View Church, but I always use him as an example in my life. I said, that's how I got to Ocean View originally. Uh, I met Steve when I was 18 years old. Almost half my life now I've known him. You know how he discipled me? Um, we dug holes and planted, uh, planted trees. <laughs> uh, we coached baseball teams in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, we studied the Bible. I did laundry at his house. He let me come over and hang out with he and his kids, who now are serving in ministry too. That's not a really difficult discipleship plan. I think anybody in here could do that. As a college guy who was broke, yeah, he, he fed us soup at night, so I didn't have to go spend my money at the, the restaurants, which normally was like chips and queso. It wasn't like the full ordeal. Chili's hated us because we would study there all the time and we're like, can we just get the endless chips for $3 and we're going to share it among the four of us? <laughs> Are you kidding me? We'll all throw in a dollar and tip you. So at the end of the night, you got $4. And it's not that we're being cheap. That's all we have. And so here's discipleship. It's just doing life together. But God's word is included as well. But we don't need to make it so difficult. And here I am today. <laughs> and I'm not bragging on myself, but what I'm saying is his consistent investment in me has led to a leader within the church who's doing all I can to help churches be planted in San Diego, kids and families be rescued, the gospel, the gospel being preached and go forth. And you know what I'm doing? I'm having lunches with people. 
I'm asking them to come with me to conferences, even if they're not pastors. Hey, you want to come to a pastor's conference with me? I call a couple guys I'm going next Wednesday. Hey, I'm going to speak at this conference. You guys want to come with me <laughs> to a pastor's conference? Yeah, just come with me. You got nothing else going on, right? There's free food, and it's going to be good. All right, these guys are like, we're in. We're in. There's free food. You drive in so I don't have to spend my gas? Yeah. That's part of the discipleship process. That's building leaders because I believe in some of them that they can be more than they are right now. And that's not belittling them in where they're at. It's just leveling them up and seeing something in them that they don't see in themselves. The second thing is this, that God multiplies his work through people. You say, well, aren't leaders and people the same? Yeah, but there's a process to leadership. We see in verses 4 through 69, and we're not going to read them all, obviously. That's a lot of verses. But... It says, then God put it on my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at first, and I, and I found written in it. There were people of the providence who came out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and, Ju- and Judah, each to his own town. So I'm just going to stop there. But if you keep going, what you're going to find out is there's about 10 different sections of people. Nehemiah builds the wall, but he's not done with his work. You see, the the job that God had called him to do was not just about rebuilding the wall. It's about leading the people into worshiping a Savior, a God of the universe. And he started building into some leaders, and now he's, he's investing in some people. There's two sides to this coin. First, when God multiplies his work, through people, it begins in us. He's doing a work in Nehemiah, the person, and then in other people who may not be there yet, maybe people who aren't even in Christ yet. He lists out all these people because, remember, this is God's people. This is God's family. And he begins to note them out by family because they're important. This is really, this is oftentimes overlooked in the scriptures. You can look at different books in the Old Testament, and you're going to see a list of names. If you read Matthew chapter 1, you're going to go through a list of names that get to Jesus, and you want to get to the end, you're like, okay, blah, 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 Jesus, yes. But what you forget are like, God put these people's names in the Bible. It was a big deal. They're lesser known characters, but not less important. God says that when you come into the family of God, your name is written in the book of life. Just because you're not the lead pastor here doesn't mean that God can't lead you to something of great importance. And I always have to come back around to say great success and great importance in God's kingdom is different than on earth. One person for the cause of Christ is of great importance. Heaven celebrates when a, when a, a sinner comes to know Jesus as Savior. Sometimes we look at that and we think, all I did was one person. And maybe this is overstated, but you know what? One person led Billy Graham to Christ, and he had an incredible ministry for decades and decades and decades. Pastor Bays, he's been serving, goodness now, probably close to 50 years. He was at Ocean View for 42 years. He's been here for like five years. I mean, he has, has tremendous work that God has used in his life. I know he always tells me that he got saved in a really small church. That person, I'm not even sure who it is, but somebody led him to Christ. That was of a great importance, right? 
So God multiplies his work through people, the regular people. There's no regular people in God's economy. You're all gifted according to Corinthians, and you're all called to use those gifts in some sort of way. I put underneath here, there's nothing God is calling you toward that does not include the salvation and transformation of people. People matter to God. They still do. Every work, every church that's planted is not about a platform. It's about people coming to know Jesus, a Savior. It's about restoring the world in which we live to be many lights in our city. At your workplace, in your homes, wherever you go. At a baseball field, right? You're a mini light there. So when you're cheering for your son or daughter, don't swear, right? Praise. <laughs> Celebrate. Think, oh man, I messed that one up. Good thing God's full of grace. You, you get a do-over every game. And if you swore a lot, you know, in a few weeks you're saying, man, they quit swearing so heavily. Something's up with those people. <laughs> Something good is happening. Don't yell at the umpire. I've been a coach and a referee. Referee is tough. <laughs> Those poor people. Moving forward a little bit, God multiplies his work through his word. In Nehemiah chapter 8, this is a great place. You say, man, we're just jumping ahead. Yes, because I told you, I only get three weeks. And all the people, verse 1, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early in the morning till midday. Wow, be, be thankful you're not in that church, right? <laughs> morning until midday, are you kidding me? What kind of church growth, you know, plan is that? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I have a feeling that if I said, how many of you guys would come here every week from morning till midday? The church would have a lot more open seats, right? Say, we'll do online, right? We said it last week. Opposition comes, we'll go online. And I'm not picking on you if you're online. I'm just saying, sometimes you're like, hmm, morning till midday, I'll watch online so I can get all my other stuff done. These people are celebrating the God of the universe. Remember, they've been in exile. They've been scattered. This is a wonderful and incredible work. 52 days, the city is being rebuilt. The walls are being rebuilt. They're starting to see, oh, man, maybe all these prophecies about this coming Messiah, this is about to take place. This is good. Something's going on here. And then, for a long time, because their lives are not like our lives, they didn't have access to a bunch of Bibles, Right? We have them on our iPads, we have them on our phones, we have them in the back. We can get Bibles everywhere here in America. But in the Old Testament, right, they had scrolls in the word, of the, the word of the law. It wasn't just as accessible to everybody who just had one in their home. So they gathered together communally. And guess what? That's a good picture for the church too. Even though you have the word of God accessible to you individually, you have got to make a point of coming together and hearing God's word corporately. That's why the church matters. There's never been a time in history where God says, hey, just go at it alone. He says, no, together, so we can iron sharpen iron, so we can work these things out. So when we get off track, somebody can call us not, be, not because they're angry at us or because they're being offensive, but because they love us. Because the church is supposed to be a picture of Israel, God's family. Everybody say family. family. All right? I know you don't know everybody in here, and, and you have not had a meal with everyone, but here's the deal. 
God has said we are supposed to be like family. We're supposed to be like family. And we don't all have a great picture of family, but family at its core is supposed to love one another and be for one another and care for one another and bear the burdens of one another. If you have a sister or brother that you actually like and they're going through a rough time, you want to help them. If they lost their home, you would say, come live with me. Let me help you. Let me pay for that. Your kids need diapers. I'm going to get those for you. That is the picture in which the church is supposed to be. That's what's supposed to be attractive to the world. Our message will be offensive, but our lifestyles will be attractive, and it's kind of this countercultural friction thing. They're like, I don't like what they're saying, but I love what they're doing. And this group is coming together communally to hear the word of God. They're a family who've been separated in exile and gone through a lot of really hard times. And finally, something's going right, and they're going to hear the book of the law be preached for hours, for hours. You can do great things without God's word, but there's an expiration date. They're temporary, not eternal. God multiplies his work in your life through his word. The only reason that I know any of this stuff is because I open God's book, and I'm applying it to my life. God multiplies his work through his word in others' lives. It says in the Bible, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People are saved by the word of God, by the scriptures. God's eternal purposes in our life go forth because of the word of God. It's multiplied through the word of God. The work that you do here, no matter how few or how many people are in here, will be multiplied abundantly through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even if this church never grows a single person from what it is today, if you guys are multiplying people and making disciples in your life that go to other places, and especially in the Navy, right, they go from one place to another place to another place, God is multiplying his kingdom, his greater purposes in your individual obedience and work. I would say this. The greater, I got to be careful with this, but I, I think that your work will be limited or God's purposes in your life might be limited to the time in which you give to God's word because you begin to do it in your own effort and you waste a lot of time and you miss a lot of stuff. I am not an old guy but I've missed a lot of moments in my life because I've gone after it by myself rather than going to God's word. We said a couple weeks ago that prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. I'd say God's word should be our morning meal, not our midnight snack. That's not your notes. That's a Loganism. You can find that in the book, Logan. It should be our, our morning meal. We should be so full on it that like we can skip lunch and dinner, right? Because we've had so much of it. And I'm not criticizing. If you do the YouVersion Bible app, uh, Bible in a year, and you read one verse, God can multiply that because that's how good he is and how powerful his word is. But I'm going to tell you, like working out or anything else, if I do one push-up a day, which I do about two, it's going to take me a lot longer to get in shape than if I do a hundred we know that. Those basic principles in all other fields of our lives make sense. If I work for 30 minutes a day, I'm not going to have enough money to live on. If I do one push-up a day, I'm not going to be in great shape. 
If I drink a half a cup of water today but eat a bunch of snacks, it's not going to be good for me. For some reason, we forget that about the Bible. That like these bite-sized morsels don't do enough for us in the world, in the culture in which we live. There's a lot coming at us all the time. They're spending hours in God's word to remind them of who he is and what he has done. Because we have short memories. We forget so often what God does. That leads us to this. Oh, and let me, let me jump back on that. In the scriptures here, in, in Nehemiah, in verses 2 through 3, 7 through 8, 12 through 13, six times, Nehemiah emphasizes understanding. So it's not just about going to God's word, it's about meditating and learning and studying God's word. Like I said, I can read through the Bible in a year, and when I was a new Christian, I did that, and I learned almost nothing. I was like, okay, I need to, write, I need to read the Bible in a year. I was speed reading. And I woke up, and I got the, you know, I'm like, oh, I got to read that Bible. But I didn't really understand it. I didn't get that it's just one story, right? I, I got to Nehemiah, and I thought, this is about a wall. <laughs> it's not about a wall. When I was a new Christian, I thought that there were 66 individual books that all talked about God, but I didn't realize that it was one continuous story that all points to God, that all is fulfilled in Jesus, Old Testament to New Testament, and it's played out in 66 different books. But it's all one story. It's all leading and waiting for this coming Messiah. Here's the principle that we live in from the Old Testament to today, right? Old Testament, New Testament, they were waiting for Messiah. New Testament, the Messiah shows up and he ascends up into heaven. Now we're living in the already, not yet, where we, all things are complete. God has won, but we're waiting for him to return. But we forget that, so we've got to go back to his word and live that out daily. God multiplies our work through our worship. Put obedience on the side. What we see here is really powerful in verses, in chapter 8, verses 13 through 18 says this, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all people with the priest and the Levites came together to Ezra and the scribe in order to study the words of the law, and they found it written in the book of, of the Lord that commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive with wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leaves, uh, in other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Now I'm stopping there again. You're going to have to go and study a little bit more, but here's the deal. When they were in God's word, God multiplied it because there was obedience that takes place. There's celebration that takes place. Um, we see that, and there's remembrance that takes place because what they had neglected or forgotten or maybe never known if they were children is that there was this ongoing festival every year called the Festival of Booths. That sounds really funny. It wasn't just some festival to throw a party. It was in remembrance for how God had brought them out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. And there was a time in the wilderness where they didn't have a home, and they were remembering that. And so for like seven days, they had these like tents that they made out of leaves and trees like they were back there to remember. We have some sacraments today that we remember, right? It's called communion, the Lord's Supper. It's not because we want to give you a little snack so you can go out of here and you're getting a little hungry. So you have a little tiny cup of juice and then a little tiny wafer. 
It's not what that's for. It's to remember Jesus' blood and his body. We constantly go back and remember because we often forget. And so as they're studying God's word, he multiplies it because now it's not just reading, it's doing. They're like, oh my goodness, we miss this. In your life practically, how does God multiply his work in your life and the lives of others? In your life, when you're studying the Bible, you're like, oh man, I didn't realize I was supposed to do this. There's a point in all your lives where you're like, wow, giving is important to God, right? I should give money. I should tithe. I should be generous. I didn't know that. I thought this was mine. I thought I worked for it. God says all of this stuff is his, and I get to keep some of it, but I also get to be generous with it. Wow. I'm not belittling again your understanding. There's a point where we're all reading and studying the word of God, and we're like, oh, wow. These are not just 66 individual books. This is one combined story. Oh, wow. That Messiah is Jesus Messiah. Oh, I get it now. Oh, that person that shows up, that's an image of Christ in the New Testament. Oh, my goodness. I, I get it now. I remember one of the most mind-blowing things I learned in college because I told you I didn't grow up in church, and so I went to Bible college, which was kind of a, a God's call on my life, but also kind of a bad move because I went to Bible college to become a pastor because that was God's call. But all these people who had grown up in a Christian home or church, or, and I'm like, the first test I ever took was the books of the Bible, and I, I failed it. I got like, I don't know, maybe like 30 of them. I was like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, there's four. Okay. <sighs> I remember the night before, my friends are like, these people I'd met, they're like, hey, we're going to go out tonight. You want to come? I was like, I got to stay for a test. She's like, what, what test? I'm like, books of the Bible test? They're like, everybody thought, like, this guy's not going to make it. Like, are you kidding me? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's like all of a sudden you're captaining a ship. And you're like, I've never been on a boat before. I have no idea what to do here. Somebody, you know, this is an anchor and you just throw it in, right? I don't know what else to do. And, and so God is, is multiplying that work in my life. And I remember the story of Abraham. Maybe today you'll, you'll, your mind will be blown too. The story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And I had a professor tell me about like, as he's going to sacrifice his son, then all of a sudden there's a ram caught in the thicket. This lamb, the thorns are wrapped around his head to become the sacrifice. I was like, that's crazy, good, he didn't have to kill his son, right? Woo! He's like, man, that's a picture of, of Christ and his work for us. My mind was blown, like, oh my goodness, there's like stories, if you've ever seen the movie Inception, it's like a story inside of a story inside of a story in the Bible. I didn't even know this. This is so wild. And this is what he's doing here. Like these people are like, there's a celebration we've been missing. It's to go back and to remember. And now we're going to be obedient to this. It's not just reading and celebrating God's word, but it's about like following these laws. Wow. God multiplies his work in our life. when We go through the word, which leads to worship or obedience and celebration, remembrance in our life and in the lives of others. Because when new believers come in, they learn new things. That's exciting. There's nothing more fun than when somebody learns something that they didn't know about God. It shouldn't be embarrassing. It should be celebrated. Like, wow, that was really cool. They learned something new. We learned something new. And finally, as we, we kind of move forward here, that leads to confession and repentance. God multiplies our work through confession and repentance. In all of chapter 9, you can just read it. It's this, that the word to the worship 
to the confession of repentance means this. Oh my goodness. Lord, forgive me. I have been in error a lot. God, we have messed up a lot. You know, there's some people that sin all the time, right? We're all sinners saved by grace. But there's people who make mistakes as new believers because they just haven't gotten to that point yet where they didn't realize. It's just kind of an ignorance until they go to God's word. And you're like, man, I didn't, I didn't recognize that. I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to share my faith. And that seems like, oh, okay, how do you not know that? You know, there's people still today who've never been to church. They don't know the word of God. They don't know the story of Jesus. Jesus is some guy with like sandals and a lot of controversy. He's kind of living, saying good things, doing good things. But they don't see him as God. There's people that hold the Bible in the same esteem as every other book. And so when we come to this point, like God multiplies our work in confession and repentance in our lives and in the lives of others. See, we keep tracking back to like Nehemiah. What was this? This was about a wall, right? No, it was about worship. It was about stacking stones to worshiping a savior. It was about building this wall. And guess what? Remember, let's not forget this. Nehemiah, when he, when he went out to do all this, he didn't see this being played out. In your lives, there are things that you're going to be a part of that you never get to witness or, or see. There's seeds that are planted that are connected directly to your faithfulness and obedience, but you're never going to see the tree grow. And that's got to be okay. Don't waste your life wondering what, how it's all connected, but just be obedient to what God's called you to do. I shared with you guys all these different things. We stepped out in faith and took on foster, uh, foster children, and that led to the adoption of our three. And now we've, we've had 12 kids in our home, which led me to, to working for an organization, partnering with churches to serve families in, involved in the foster care system. I didn't see that then, but I see that now. In 2010, I moved from Mansfield, Ohio to San Diego, California. Wasn't a real hard push, by the way. Um, <laughs> Love you, Mansfield, if you're watching. <laughs> and I was teaching in a school. And I'll never forget this. This was one of these things that I was like, man, I, I had been called to ministry to be a pastor. And am I really being a pastor at a Christian school? I'm teaching PE and Bible. And there were moments where I was like, what am I doing? I'm watching my friends go around the world, plant churches, and be missionaries, and it seemed like they had this really awesome thing going on, and I was like, what are you doing, Logan? And you're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm doing really, I mean, I'm a Bible teacher in a classroom. It's been exciting. They come in every day excited to hear the Word of God, right? Their, their parents are paying for this. Didn't get a lot of attaboys. I remember Pastor Bezos at the church and wanting so badly to preach on stage, in four years, I'm in like complete obscurity. Never get an opportunity to preach on stage. I thought, God, when is my turn? What I didn't realize is like, I wasn't ready to be up there yet because my heart was really like, put me on stage. I didn't see the value in every single student that God brought into my classroom. And there's this moment where Pastor Bays asked me, he was like, hey, we've got an opening in the youth. Do you want to do it? And God had begun to change my heart. And I said, no, I want to stay at the school okay. And all I knew was I got hundreds of kids that came to me every day 
connected to their families, their brothers and sisters, not all of them who are in church, not all of them know Jesus as Savior. And I'm getting to make an investment and teach them the word of God, to coach them, to be involved in their lives. I thought, I don't know a youth pastor that has hundreds of kids like me every day. And today I've got to do their weddings. I'm getting to see like the fruit, the ripple effect. Oh God, this was more than a, than a teaching position, right? Oh, I thought I was coming to San Diego to teach Bible. No, so much more. But I missed it in that moment. And now I'm still praying for some of these young men and women. And while some of them are in church, they'll take my call. And they'll call me when they're not doing good things. And I get to pray for them and pray with them and lead them into God's truth. See, Nehemiah is not about a wall. It's about stacking stones to worshiping a Savior. The work that God has called you to do as a mother, as a father in the Navy is not about the Navy. It's about worship. It's about Jesus. The organization he's called you to start is not just about that thing in that moment. It's about so much more that you may never even realize, but be obedient in it. Because we're going to see people connected to God's word. We're going to see people worshiping. We're going to see people uh, opened up to confessing and, and repenting, and their lives changed and transformed for eternity. The last thing is this, that God multiplies our work through Jesus. Now in your, your notes here, it's got Matthew 1, 1 through 17. It's just the story of Jesus' birth and his family line, all those names. But I want to read to you one of my favorite passages in Luke chapter 4. It's kind of a mic drop moment in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, verse 16 Jesus rejected at Nazareth in verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of the synagogues were fixed on him and began to say, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus read the scripture that was talking about him. A lot of people didn't even realize it. Oh my word, Jesus is actually reading the story, the prophecies about his, his coming, and he's the one reading it. God of the universe is reading his own prophecy in our midst. That should blow your mind. All the things that you guys were doing has now been fulfilled in Jesus' embodiment, his flesh and blood coming to earth. Nehemiah's work was not just about a wall, but it's just one more step in the direction of Jesus. It's gathering God's people back together to worship him because they had got off track. And guess what? The Bible's not a story that happened, but happens. It's the story of our lives. We all go through these moments where we get off track. And we need somebody like Nehemiah or like you or like me who's going to be obedient to God's call to say, I'll go. I'll make disciples. I'll start that. I'll be a missionary. I'll plant a church and be a pastor. I'll do fill in the blank. I'll be a godly mom and dad. I'll be a godly sailor. 
I'm going to do this. And there's going to be opposition. But I want you to know that what you're doing is more. It's bigger than you can even see or imagine. It's about pointing people toward a Savior. And so today, God's still got plans for you. He's got people for you. When you leave here today, I hope that you don't just leave the message, but you embody the message and say, okay, where's my person? What's my thing that I've been waiting to do or, or Satan has kept me from doing? And let's start that back up. Let's start praying, reading. Let, let's, let's get back after that thing again because God wants to do more than just whatever it is that I, I thought. Let's pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Lord, we all need it. God, we're not the hero in the story. Nehemiah is not the hero in the story. You are. We get to take part in your grand narrative. Thank you for allowing us to do that, Lord. You could have done anything else. You could have chosen anyone else, Lord. While I get afraid and complain about the, the world that we live in, I, I'm afraid for my kids at times. I'm afraid sometimes as a pastor, am I going to say the right thing or the wrong thing? How are people going to perceive me if I stand on your word and your truth, God? I, all those thoughts come into my mind, but Lord, thank you for calling me into this place. Help me to reflect you and nothing else. Help me to be less of myself. Help us to be less of ourselves, Lord, and more like you. God, the thing, the person that you've called us to, God, I pray that you would just ignite a passion of fire in our hearts today, that we would go back after that. If there's a person in our life that we just need to share your truth with, to witness to, I pray that we'd be bold and do that. God, if there is a family member or something that's going on in our lives that we need to attend to, God, I pray that we would go back after that. Lord, we confess and we pray, Lord, you would do a wonderful work in our lives in that. Lord, if there is a mission that you have for us or a mission field, and we're afraid, God, to go there or to do that, God, I pray that you would give us boldness. We'd be faithful and obedient to do that because it's more than just the mission field. It's the generations to come that are led into worshiping a Savior, not just the bricks that we got to stack that built the wall. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll invite you guys to stand to sing and uh, pray where you're at. Or as I said before, if you guys would like to come and kneel and pray, you're welcome to do that as well.